Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. It's the White Sox 6, the Indians 4. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we will get to the rest of the trade deadline, because of course, I mean, an absolute insane trade deadline. I feel bad for the people that work at MLB Network and do podcasts and radio shows that cover all of Major League Baseball because how could you? How could you possibly capture every trade that went down yesterday into an episode? You'd be you'd be on the radio for 4 hours just to get through all the trades yesterday. So, let's talk about the game first and then at the end of the episode we will get into the trade deadline news and wrap that up. Uh, the big storyline for me in this game, well, I wouldn't say the biggest storyline. I'm going to go more in sequential order uh, this episode, is that uh, the Indians actually strike first in this game. Going against Lance Lynn, who is one of the best pitchers in uh, in all of baseball right now. Um, what is Lynn on the season? Let's take a look here now. Uh, he's 10 and 3 with a 207 ERA, a 1.05 whip. Um, and he uh, he's pitched so well that the uh, White Sox have actually locked him up for a few more seasons. So he's going against Mejia, and we actually get to him in the first inning. Bradley Zimmer starts things off with a nice single to lead off the game. Ahmed Rosario shoots one down into the right field corner. It gets over the right fielder's head. It goes for a double. Zimmer's into third. Jose Ramirez is hit by the pitch, and that brings up Fermil Reyes, who wastes no time swinging at the first pitch, going 104 miles per hour right back up the middle. It brings in Zimmer and Rosario to score. Jose Ramirez would get thrown out trying to go first to third because um, the center fielder came charging in. Who was in center field for them last night? It was at the start of the game. It was uh, Larry Garcia. At the start of the game, eventually Billy Hamilton would come in and uh, take over in center field. So a great job by Garcia of reading the play, knowing he couldn't get an out at home, but going to third to get Jose Ramirez there. And then Harold Ramirez would strike out and Daniel Johnson would strike out to end that threat. And to be honest with you, uh, I don't know if we we made uh, Lance Lynn mad at that point, but he would go on to record seven strikeouts on the day after we got to him early in this game. So he really would kind of lock in uh, after this. Uh, he would strike out two in the second inning. He would strike out Jose Ramirez in the third on a really nice changeup on a full count. Uh, he would strike out two more in the fourth. Then in the fifth inning, after Ernie Clement starts things off with a flyout, Bradley Zimmer would walk. And that walk would prove to be huge. In fact, it would be the only walk that Lance Lynn would give up on the game. And uh, it, Ahmed Rosario on a ground out to third base allows Bradley Zimmer to move up to second. And then Jose Ramirez uh, comes up and shoots a single through the shift into right center field, 105.8 mile per hour exit velocity that brings Bradley Zimmer into score. So one walk on the day from Lance Lynn, and it would come in to score. Uh, Lance Lynn's final line on the day, five innings pitch, seven hits, three earned runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. To be honest with you, and this is going to get into my next storyline here, this game was not about the starters. This game came down to the bullpens. 
And we knock Lynn out after five innings, um, which is a great, you know, a great job by the Indians offense. Uh, in fact, we, we take that lead early. We slip a little bit. Mejia lets them back into the game. It's not that Mejia pitched terrible, but the walks did start to add up. He had four walks on the day, and that's what drove him out of the game. Uh, he let he just let them creep back in. They get one in the second inning on a solo home run, which we'll get to. Uh, and uh, then he gives up two in the uh, fourth, and then again uh, gets into real trouble, loads the bases in that fifth inning, and they have to go to Blake Parker. So uh, neither Lynn or Mejia really had a huge impact in this game. For Lynn, it would be a no decision. Uh, and for Mejia being no decision, the loss would go to Karinchek, um, not until the uh, eighth inning. So uh, yeah, so both starters. I thought Mejia, I thought Mejia was pitching all right. Obviously, the home run in the second inning should have never been a home run. It was an absolute ridiculous play. The defense last night absolutely killed the Indians. Right? There were some bad. There was a bad throw to first base. There was a bad. Uh, throw from Roberto Perez back to second base, a pickoff attempt that goes out into center field and allows a runner to advance. Like we just kind of made bad defensive plays all over the place, and nothing is worse than what happened in the second inning. Johan Moncada hits one out to right center field, and the way Hamilton made it sound is that both, because uh, I was listening on the radio last night, both outfielders uh, Zimmer and Johnson leapt at the wall together, and the ball went over. That's the way he made it sound initially on the radio. Watching the actual replay, Bradley Zimmer takes a little jump, but he I mean he has this ball caught in front of the wall. This ball is not even going it would have not cleared the wall. It would have hit about halfway up the wall. Bradley Zimmer has a little jump. He's got this ball snagged and Daniel Johnson just slams into him. And the ball pops out of Zimmer's glove and goes over the wall for a home run. It looked like Daniel Johnson. There's a quick shot in the replay of Daniel Johnson pointing to his ear like he didn't hear him. And if that's the case, I mean, the Indians have been hyper vigilant about calling for things since Josh Naylor got hurt. Right? I've seen it. You've seen guys peel off constantly. It seems like they really learned their lesson about calling for things. But this was another situation where two outfielders both going hard for a ball. One clearly has it. The other one should clearly back off. And again, he says he doesn't hear him. And he slams into him. And I mean, it's, it isn't Jose Canseco letting the ball hit off his head, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. I mean, even if he drops the ball, at least it stays in the park. Maybe they hold him to a double. But the fact that it pops out of his glove and pops over the wall for a home run... He gets credit for a home run on a ball that wasn't even close to going out. So, uh, yeah, that is it's a pretty ridiculous play there. And Daniel Johnson has to know better than that. Hammy was absolutely destroying Daniel Johnson for his defense. And rightfully so. We've seen some bad defense from Daniel Johnson. I I wanted Daniel Johnson to get a shot here, but I, I don't know. With, with Miles Straw coming over, and like I said, we're going to get to the trade deadline stuff. I, I I think Daniel Johnson might be the odd man out in all this. Um, his defense just has not been good enough. 
Uh, so anyway, so uh, that's how they score that one. Uh, a couple of singles in the fourth inning. Like I said, they kind of hit uh, Mejia around in the fourth inning, inning, and they're able to score two runs. Uh, it's nothing terrible. I mean, it, what can you do? There was one walk in there, a couple singles. Brian Goodwin gets a big single to bring uh, bring in a run, and then they actually have a chance to turn a double play on Lurie Garcia. He just hit the ball so weakly that he beats out the throw and uh, brings in Vaughn to score. So they had a chance to get out of that with one run. They just couldn't turn the double play quick enough, and it's not Ernie Clement's. Nobody's fault on that one. Not Ernie Clement fielding the ball, not Ahmed Rosario on the turn at second. It was just a slow hit ball and a fast runner coming down the line. And it it combines to create another run. So uh, Mejia on the day, his his CSW numbers, uh, we always harp on his sinker, but he did a good job of limiting damage. He did give up the home run on the sinker, but they only put three sinkers in play on 27 pitches. Um, He does not get a lot of whiffs on that pitch. He got two whiffs on 12 swings. He only got two called strikes. It was a 15% CSW, but seven foul balls makes that pitch a lot more effective, right? And only three put in play. The slider obviously is his most dominant pitch. 13 swings, four whiffs, six called strikes. It's good for a 38% CSW. And then his uh, his changeup did get hit hard. His changeup, six swings, six balls put in play on his changeup. So he was not fooling anybody on his changeup. And uh, the curveball and the fastball, they... Uh, he didn't get any whiffs on those, but they only put one in play. Got a ton of foul balls between the curveball and the fastball. I threw the curve 10 and the fastball nine times. He got 10 foul balls on those pitches. Like I said, only one curveball put in play, and it was put in play weekly at 76.5 miles per hour. So those pitches, actually, he did a good job of keeping them off balance. 21 foul balls will actually, I mean, those are strikes. Those add up, you know, those put the hitter behind. So Mejia actually was serviceable tonight. The walks get him into trouble. And now this is where the second storyline comes in, the bullpens. Because he leaves the bases loaded after two walks in the fifth inning. He leaves the bases loaded. And uh, it brings in Blake Parker out of the bullpen. Now this absolutely would have been the Phil Maton spot, right? Maton was the guy that would go in at any point in the game. Well, Maton is in Houston right now, and Miles Straw is coming back to Cleveland. So they needed someone else. And I just told you the other day, Blake Parker has been sneaky good this year. So Blake Parker is the guy that gets the call, and he starts things off. Let's go to the actual matchups, because these matchups were, I think, the storyline of the game. Things could have really gotten out of control here. Um, but Blake Parker facing Johan Moncada, and Moncada had himself a great day yesterday. Moncada uh, was their best hitter. He went three for five with uh, an RBI and two runs scored on the day, including the uh, gifted home run. So Moncada was locked in, starts him off with a four-seam fastball, a nice low fastball for a called strike, then throws a splitter and gets him to swing over top of it, Goes forcing fastball high, and he lays off it twice. Two of them right around his shoulders, and he lays off them twice. And then goes splitter again down and gets him to swing through it. It's a really nice job of going high and low and getting that hitter to swing over that splitter. 
The next batter to come up, Andrew Vaughn. Remember, this is with the bases loaded. He doesn't throw him a splitter. He does not throw like throwing the splitter to right-handed hitters. He only throws that splitter to lefties. So he throws them all four-seam fastballs. I mean, all he throws on the day are fastballs and splitters. Um, so in this matchup here, he goes all four-seam fastballs to Andrew Vaughn, and they're all kind of away. He misses with three in a row. He misses high. He misses high. He misses high three times in a row to start before finally bringing one down on the outside edge, which frankly could have been called a ball. He's lucky that one was called a strike. He gets him to foul one off at the top of the zone, then foul one off again on the outside edge, and then just misses badly, pulls one across the body, pulls one way outside. Vaughn doesn't even have to stress about that pitch, and he walks in the run. Uh, Then Brian Goodwin comes up, and now it's a lefty. He goes back to the split finger. Starts him with a splitter in the dirt, fastball high, uh, I'm sorry, fastball inside, so now he's down to the count again. He finally gets a fastball in the zone that Goodwin fouls off, called strike on a fastball down at the knees that he paints the inside corner with, now he's throwing him splitter, splitter down that he fouls off, splitter down that he fouls off, splitter in the dirt that he lays off to uh, make it a full count, another splitter that he fouls off, and finally... Foul tips a four-seam fastball into the glove after throwing him uh, four splitters in a row down at the knees, at the shins, some of them. He goes high with a fastball and gets him to foul tip it into the glove for a strikeout. It's a great job of taking care of that left-handed hitter by Blake Parker. And again, it's the combo of the splitter down and the fastball high that is really, really tough to hit. I would love to see one of those pitching ninja overlays to see what that looks like for the hitter. Uh, facing Blake Parker. So that's a great job by him of getting out of that inning. And then it would be a battle of the bullpens. And frankly, their bullpen was just better. Garrett Crochet would come in, clean inning, one strikeout on 16 pitches. Aaron Bummer, Boomer, Boomer, Bummer, whatever it is, comes in, one inning pitched. Uh, He does give up a walk, but a strikeout, 19 pitches. He gets out of it clean. Tapera would come in and get into some real trouble. Tapera, who they just got from the Cubs, the first batter he faces is Fermio Reyes. And what does Reyes do? He absolutely destroys a ball to left field. It's a beautiful swing uh, from Fermio Reyes. Let's see what the exit velocity is on this one here. Uh, It's 103 mile per hour exit velocity, 35 degree launch angle, 393 feet to the seats in left field. Just a majestic, high-arcing home run from Fermio Reyes. And so welcome to uh, the other side of Chicago. Welcome to the American League uh, for Tapera facing Fermio Reyes there. Then Harold Ramirez would single at 114.8 miles per hour. My God, does Harold Ramirez hit the ball hard. Oscar Mercado pinch hitting would draw a walk. And then uh, a sack bunt from Roberto Perez would move those runners up. And that would be all for Tapera. They would actually dig deeper into their bullpen after that. They would bring in Ruiz, and this is why Ruiz gets the win. He strikes out Yu Chang on a breaking ball in the dirt and then gets Ernie Clement to fly out to get out of it and earn himself a win in the process. This was the moment in the game. I mean, at this point in the game, Fermil Reyes had just tied things up. And you had runners on first and second. You sack bunt them over. 
and it brings up Yu Chang. Obviously, if Bobby Bradley was here, Bobby Bradley is on the bereavement list. Uh, there was a you know a death in his family, so he's going to the funeral this weekend. Obviously, condolences to the Bobby Bradley to Bobby Bradley and his family. But it put Yu Chang in a situation where he had to deliver, and Yu Chang had himself a terrible day, swinging at two high fastballs for strikeouts, and then swinging at one in the dirt for another strikeout. So Chang three strikeouts on the day. And it kills the Indians' chances here. Ernie Clement would have a chance with two outs, but would fly out to end the threat. And that was big because that would bring in um, Karen Check in the bottom of the eighth to face the White Sox, and they would get to Karen Check, and it would be real trouble for Karen Check here. He would give up a single to Lurie Garcia, walk Zach Collins, a single to Tim Anderson brings in a run, a single by Cesar Hernandez. Um, Loads the bases for Jose Abreu, and Karinchek throws one up, tries to come in with a fastball, and hits Abreu in the head. It was a really ugly scene. Obviously, not what the Indians were trying to do. They actually hit Abreu twice on the day. And to make matters worse, Tony Larusa comes storming out of the dugout and pushes Roberto Perez back, like like Roberto Perez is the problem. Um, Tony LaRussa just, I get that he's mad that they hit their star player twice in the game and obviously tempers flare when someone gets hit in the head, but Tony LaRussa, someone called him, someone called him on Twitter a right twat and I can't think of a better way to describe Tony LaRussa. He just seems like just the one of the worst human, just nasty, mean, grumpy, just, just a son of a gun, just a real... I'm trying not to curse here, but he had no business shoving Roberto Perez back. And it wasn't that big of a shove. It was, a, you know, he put his hand on him. But, I mean, Roberto Perez at that point is trying to help Jose Abreu. He calls the White Sox medical staff over to let them know it's serious. I think we all knew it was serious. But anyways, I mean, Roberto Perez is, you know, seems like one of the nicest guys in the game. He's He's always, always out there trying to help guys that get hit and stuff like that. And... There's absolutely no reason. It causes a benches-clearing situation, and Tony La Russa had to be restrained by one of his coaches. I mean, it was just an ugly scene that was made uglier by an ugly manager. And uh, Jose Abreu was able to shake it off. He goes down to first base. Um, and in fact, it uh, he would actually make the final out. Like, he would stay in. We saw it the other day with... Uh, uh, who was it on the Cardinals? Was it Arenado who got hit in the elbow and he stays in, but then eventually comes out like an inning or two later? Jose Bray would actually stay in and finish the game and uh, make the final out. Now, will is there a chance that he goes into concussion protocol? Does he wake up with a headache this morning and have to go into concussion protocol? That absolutely is a possibility. You never know. When someone has a head injury like that, gets hit in the head, sometimes there's some delayed symptoms. So we'll see if he's in the lineup today or if he gets a day off or if he comes in with a headache and has to go into concussion protocols. But uh, it was ugly scene from Karinchek. Uh, he would lead the game, and Nick Wickren would come in with the bases loaded. And this is what I'm telling you. The bullpens, it was all about the bullpens. Wickren would get Gavin Sheets to strike out. He would get Johan Moncada to strike out. And then he would get Billy Hamilton to strike out to end it. For the eighth inning for the White Sox. This is with the bases loaded. He does all of this with the bases loaded. Wickren was absolutely 
locked in and ready for that situation yesterday. And it was mostly four-seam fastballs. He did it on 11 pitches. Um, it was all the four-seam fastball here. They fouled off four. He got two whiffs on the fastball and five swings and three called strikes. It's good for a 45% CSW from Wickren. My God, there is good Nick Wickren and bad Nick Wickren. And my God, did good Nick Wickren come to play yesterday. Um, other notables out of the bullpen for the Indians. We ran through the bullpen for the White Sox, but for the Indians, Parker obviously gets out of that bases loaded situation. You got to say, for coming in with the bases loaded and getting two strikeouts, he did give up the walk to let the run in, but a good job by Blake Parker there, limiting damage coming in with the bases loaded. Sandlin has a nice inning. He does give up a hit, but gets two strikeouts. Shaw gets into some serious trouble, gives up three hits, but he's saved by a Bradley Zimmer throw home. Uh, frankly, the runner got a terrible jump, probably should have been held at third, but they wave him home, and Zimmer throws a pretty good throw to home plate. Uh, it's a nice, easy catch for Roberto Perez, and then, you know, high. It doesn't come in high. It comes in, you know, in the standing position. It's not a strike to home plate, but he gets him a nice pitch, nice throw in the standing position, and he's able to drop the tag down. It's actually a great job of covering the plate without blocking the plate, which obviously is a big difference from the old days, the way the catchers used to do it. So Bradley Zimmer is able to save uh, Brian Shaw. Bradley Zimmer had himself a pretty decent day, I got to say. Filling in in the leadoff spot, uh, making that throw home. He obviously would have caught that Moncada ball if uh, Daniel Johnson didn't run into him. And then uh, Karinchek has a terrible day, finished off by just a terrible pitch that hits Abreu, you know, an ugly sight. And then Wickren comes in and strikes out the side with the bases loaded. So the battle of the bullpens. Unfortunately, uh, Karinchek takes the loss, and uh, the White Sox bullpen takes the win. And that's the big storyline of the game. MVP for the day. I thought about going with uh, Bradley Zimmer. Uh, he was on base twice, filling in in the leadoff spot. He had a hit. He scored two runs. Uh, he did have two strikeouts, though. He's got his average up to 250, which honestly... I would never have guessed Bradley Zimmer could have got his average up to 250 this season. Uh, it was a decent day from him. I'm going to go with Fermil Reyes, though. I mean, he drives in three runs, including that home run. Um, three for four on the day. He was definitely a monster in the middle of the Indians lineup yesterday. So, uh, Fermil Reyes, you get MVP for the day. I mean... I'd love to give it to Zimmer, but when you're going to end up on the highlight reels of the worst bloopers in Major League Baseball, I can't give you MVP for the day on that day. I just can't do it. Uh, so there we go for Mio Reyes. Uh, and honestly, some of these guys in the bullpen, Blake Parker, Nick Wickren, could have gotten MVP for the day. Um, all right, so that is this game. Unfortunately, the White Sox continue to stretch away from us, but there's trade deadline news. So the first one, and I, in no particular order here, um, actually, let's go in order. Let's go in order of the way we heard about him. Eddie Rosario goes to the Atlanta Braves. It's a total salary dump thing. Nobody wanted Eddie Rosario at the beginning of the season. He was sitting out there in free agency. The Indians took a chance, and it just didn't work out. I mean, Eddie Rosario was not crushing it for us. He was hitting 254 with a 296 on base and a 389 slugging. Uh, seven home runs and 306 plate appearances. It just wasn't 
you know it wasn't great. You know Eddie Rosario's defense was suspect. You know, his throws were terrible. And uh, basically, we did get Pablo Sandoval back in the trade, but we cut him immediately. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was just a way for them to clear up a spot on their roster so they didn't have to cut him. Uh, and then we threw a little cash in. Basically, we're splitting the rest of his salary with Atlanta. So uh, it saves us a little money. And frankly, Eddie Rosario just it wasn't it wasn't really working. I liked his energy. I thought he seemed like a good guy in the you know seemed like in the dugout like the guys were behind him. It just wasn't it wasn't working. The average just wasn't there. Um, so yeah, so. Uh, that's the first trade of the day, a salary thing. I think we all knew that Eddie Rosario and Cesar Hernandez were the two most likely candidates to get traded. Then they go to their bullpen and they trade from the bullpen. And I thought Shaw had the most likely chance of being traded, but apparently we're the only ones that can get any value out of Brian Shaw. And so instead it's Phil Maton who has been just like Nick Wickren, one of the most hot and cold relievers for the Indians. He goes to Houston, and they send us back Miles Straw. Miles Straw, who is lightning fast in center field. The dude runs down everything. He catches everything out there. Um, Digging into some of the numbers on fan graphs here, they have the fielding numbers. And in 96 games, 93 starts, but 96 games played, Miles Straw has made 234 putouts in the outfield. Compare that to Bradley Zimmer, who has only played in 48 games, about half as many innings, eh, maybe less than half as many innings. He's only made 91 putouts out there in center field. So obviously a huge difference, way more games played, but this dude just runs down everything. And then if you look at his advanced numbers on... Um, on fan graphs, the UZR, the ultimate zone rating in runs above average. So this is the arm plus decent range numbers plus errors. I we'll, We can get into UZR another day, but safe to say this is a number that looks like war where you have positive and negative numbers across zero. Uh, so this looks like war. Miles Straw is at a 6.6 UZR. To give you a little comparison, Bradley Zimmer is at a negative 1.3 UZR. So I would say this is a bit of an upgrade in center field. Not to mention that if you look at the total F war numbers, the fan graph war numbers, uh, Bradley Zimmer was at a 0.6. He's actually brought some value. But Miles Straw, his war numbers so far on the year for Houston, 2.0. And most of that is boosted by defensive war. Um, really helping out there. So yeah, this is a huge upgrade. He is a big stolen base guy. He's got 17 stolen bases on the season. He has been caught five times. Um, he's only hitting 262, so he's he's a contact hitter. This guy is a light contact speed guy. Fangraphs have his grades a 50 hit with the chance of growing to a 55. His power is a 20. His raw power is a 30. He'll get a home run or two, but that's it. Speed, they have him at a 70 rating on speed. Remember, this is the 2080 grading scale. And they have him at a 70 on speed. And his fielding at a 60, throws at 55. Comparisons for Bradley Zimmer. They have Bradley Zimmer's speed at a 60, his fielding at a 45, and his throws at a 60. 
So yeah, you are definitely getting some kind of an upgrade here. And Miles Straw, I'm guessing this guy will be in center field pretty much every day to the end of the season. And he's he's young. He's got so much control. Um, I don't even think he's hit. His service time is at 1.112. So he hasn't even like hit arbitration yet. We've got this guy under control for a long time. Um, this is awesome. This is an awesome trade. I don't know why Houston was so desperate to get Phil Maton. We also threw in minor league catcher Yanar Diaz, but that's okay. We do have two other catchers in the pipeline in Bo Naylor and in uh, Brian Lavastida, who are both at double A. So it was okay to give up a catcher in this trade to maybe make this trade a little more attractive to Houston to get Miles Straw. This is a huge acquisition. And I cannot wait to see the speed on the base paths once he gets there. With Straw in, we were then able to trade away another outfielder. And the uh, Rays were nice enough to take Jordan Luplo off our hands. Also throwing, going into the trade was DJ Johnson, the relief pitcher, the 30-something-year-old relief pitcher. They both go to Tampa Bay. They send back right-hander Peyton Battenfield. And Bannon Field actually slots into our prospects already. Uh, MLB's got him as our 29th rated prospect. He's at double A. Uh, he's young. He's really young. He's, uh, well, he played college ball. So he's 23 years old. He's about to turn 24, actually, in uh, on August 10th. Uh, but he was drafted in 2019 out of college, out of Oklahoma State, where he was a reliever, but he's been a starter since he's been in the majors. And he has absolutely been dominating this season. Uh, 5-0, and he's pitched between high A and double A this year. Uh, so combined, it's 5-0. and But let's focus on the double A stats, because obviously things have gotten a little tougher. Uh, he's 3-0 and in uh, six starts at double A. He's got a 2.72 ERA at double A. He was dominating at single A, a 145 ERA. Uh, in 36 innings pitch, 46 strikeouts to seven walks. It's good for an 11.4 strikeouts per nine, a 1.7 walks per nine. It's a 6.57 strikeouts to walk ratio. That is excellent. His whip is 0.853. The two guys that we just added to our double A pitching staff look like they have some real potential. Both guys are credited as. Um, back-of-the-end rotation guys, but I don't know. This looks pretty good for me from Battenfield. So we'll see when these guys get up here. Uh, Fangraphs did have some uh, scouting on his pitches. They have his fastball at a 50 grade, but a chance of growing to a 55. They have his curveball at a 45, his changeup at a 45, with a chance of growing to a 50 grade. His command was only at 35, with a chance of growing to 45. I'm surprised his command is rated so low, considering his strikeout-to-walk ratio is so good. So fastball curve changeup is what they've got for him listed over on Fangraphs. So I think the Indians have done spectacular at this trade deadline. Now, the only thing that throws a wrench in my argument is the fact that the White Sox went out and acquired Craig Kimbrell, and they had to throw into that trade. I am shocked at this trade, actually. This is a great return for the for the Cubs. I didn't even see this. Uh, they threw in Nick Magical and Cody Hewer um, to get uh, Craig Kimball from the White Sox. So now that Magical's gone, 
you can see them absolutely picking up that option year on Cesar Hernandez, which means Cesar Hernandez might be a White Sox for a year and a half now. Um, I, I am shocked that they threw in Cody Hewer. Hewer throws a blistering hard fastball uh, that averaged 97-ish miles per hour. And um, he had a fantastic rookie campaign, but he struggled this year. Uh, this is from uh, uh, MLB Trade Rumors website, their article on the game. And uh, he is going to be someone that's going to be in the Cubs bullpen for a while. And Magical is a really strong hitting uh, second baseman who suffered a bad injury. So the Cubs did the Cubs did get some good value in return for Craig Kimbrell here. So that means Cesar Hernandez is going to be sticking around a while in Chicago, and it affects the way the Cleveland, the perception of the Cleveland trade, right? Knowing that Cesar Hernandez is going to be sticking around in Chicago probably for another year now. So uh, it's a very insane trade trade deadline. I mean, who else went? Bryant goes to the uh, Giants from the Cubs. Uh, the Cubs also unload uh, Javi Baez to the Mets, which means Baez and Lindor are going to get to play together eventually once Lindor comes back from injury. Uh, so the Mets were very active. Everybody went. I mean, the, the Cubs and the Nationals basically cleared out their rosters. Uh, Texas traded some pitching. Um, who else? The Indians obviously were very active. I am shocked how active. <laughs> These are all things we talked about as possible abilities for the Indians. I'm just shocked they did all of them, right? Traded Cesar Hernandez, traded Eddie Rosario, got traded Luplo, and traded out of the bullpen. I'm, I'm shocked they did everything that we threw out as possibilities. So yeah, that is my trade deadline. I got to say, I think the Indians come out as winners at this trade deadline. They made the right moves here. You can clearly see now we are nine games back in the division. Chances are we're not going to make the playoffs this year. We're back to 500. How far back are we in the wild card? 6.5 back in the wild card. Chances are we're not making the playoffs, but we got some really good return. We really loaded up some starting pitching talent at the AA level, which we can work with. Miles Straw was a steal. Feels like a steal from Houston. We got to see how he does plugging into our outfield. Uh, so yeah, I think overall we have to. We'll probably look back on this trade deadline and say, "Boy, the Indians did a lot with a little." And uh, yeah, so those are all my thoughts. It's a long episode because obviously there is a ton to talk about with this trade deadline. I I never in my life remember a trade deadline with this. They they said something. There was some record where like a ridiculous amount of players that played in the All Star game this year were traded off of their original teams. Uh, The Dodgers loaded up on people. The Padres went out and found people. The Rays were loading up on people. Uh, Just absolutely insane. The Yankees loading up. The Red Sox went out and uh, got, uh, what's his name from the Nationals? The big Schwarber, the big power hitter. So yeah, everybody's making moves, getting ready for what should be an insanely exciting uh, race to the playoffs and playoffs this year. So Those are all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Chicago. It's the White Sox 6, the Indians 4. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the uh, McKenzie versus Keiko matchup. Have they announced a starter for Sunday yet? Nope, the White Sox have still not announced a starter for Sunday. 
Um, the tomorrow's episode will actually probably be a Cleveland baseball nightly episode. I'll probably record it right after the game. And then uh, I've got a very insane Sunday lined up. So that's all my thoughts. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Obviously, there was a lot of chatter going on from me at the trade deadline. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. Call in. Tell me what you think of the Indians trade deadline acquisitions. What do you grade the Indians at uh, for what they did at the deadline? We'll respond to your thoughts and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.